0: Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today I am joined by my friend, Christine Koenig, and I cannot wait to have her introduce herself to you. Hey, Christine, how are you?
1: Hi, Ella. I'm so happy to be here. Christine, will you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. My name is Christine Koenig and my professional background is in corporate governance and federal contracting. I'm from Anchorage, Alaska, and I'm part Clinkett Indian. And I now serve on the board of directors for my Alaska Native Corporation. And we serve the Alaska Native people of the Kodiak Archipelago. And I live in Alexandria, Virginia now, and I live here with my husband and my six-year-old daughter.
0: Your six-year-old daughter is my spirit animal. We get along like a house on fire. Love her. She loves you too. (laughs) That's because I give her cupcakes. (laughs) We have known each other for a few years, and I witnessed your life change very, very drastically for some time in 2021. Do you mind sharing with us what happened and how your life changed in the summer of 2021?
1: I'd be happy to. My story is not unique, but it was a slow-moving train disaster. <laughs> so what happened is, in August 2021, I, I turned 40 years old, and for my birthday, I decided to go to the doctor for a regular you know, women's exam, which I had put off for many years, especially through COVID, which mm. I think is very common. Um The doctor said that I had an anomalous test result and they wanted to come me to come back, that it was probably nothing. So I went back for another test and then he said, you know, this is a little strange. Let's go for a more um, invasive biopsy. So I had that. And all of a sudden they said, you know, we think that this is very anomalous and we recommend that you have major surgery. I didn't have any symptoms. I wasn't sick. It just was a series of doctor's visits, test results, this uh, recommendation for a major surgery, which I went through in December of 2021. I thought that was the end of it. I thought that was my battle and I was done. Well, it turned out that when they got the pathology report back from my surgery, that I had an extremely aggressive, very rare form of endocervical adenocarcinoma. And this is not like anything that these doctors had ever seen before. It is something that other women had had. And the prognosis was very bad. It was a very aggressive type of cancer. It's the ultimate silent killer of women. And I'm extremely lucky that they caught it so early. But it meant that I had to go through a very aggressive round of chemotherapy and radiation, which I concluded in May of 2022.
0: I knew you during this time. And I probably said something dumb at the time because I was so dumbfounded because you were like the picture of health, which I understand now is not, I mean, first of all, that's not a useful response to say to somebody. So (laughs) I I I hope I didn't say too many incredibly stupid things, but that's why we're talking today is to better equip people in these situations and how to support their friends and their loved ones in these situations. And we will get to all of that. But I am having flashbacks right now to how utterly Gut wrenching that was because you're a young mom. I mean, Zelda was how old at the time?
1: Five years old. And we had just gone through COVID, which was extremely stressful for our family and very stressful for her. She was three years old when the COVID pandemic happened and we had lockdown and our whole world was upended. And then to get through that, she was finally in kindergarten. Everything was going fine. And all of a sudden, our world was upended again.
0: Yeah, it was such an incredible shock to those who know and love you that I can only fathom one and a half percent of what it was like for you and for your husband, quite frankly. And then the other thing that happened coincidentally during that same period, during a, a three or four month period, I had three friends diagnosed with cancer and begin Chemo, and you were just out of your 30s. The other person was in their late 40s, and the other person was in their 50s. And I remember I am close enough to each of you to say, I don't want to burden you, but I do want to know how to truly help you. What do you actually need? Instead of fumbling my way through that, and you and I talked later about how useful it would be to share some of that conversation on the air. So that's why we're here and tell me tell me your perspective on that from where you were sitting before we jump in here.
1: Well, I was very very lucky to receive boundless love and support during my cancer treatment and my diagnosis treatment and recovery. And frankly, until this experience for me, I did not know how to help people who have had gone through a crisis. And now I do. Now I am fully confident that if somebody that I loved or was a co-worker of or was a neighbor of, I would be there spot on. You know, my whole life, I feel like my first reaction was first, do no harm. And so doing no harm means stay as far away as possible. Yeah, like don't <laughs> screw up, right? <laughs> Just don't say anything that could make things worse you know, uh, they'll come to me if they need something, Mm -hmm. which is not true. So I'm really happy to be here and be able to share my experience at the, on the other side. You underwent
0: the first surgery before you even knew what the diagnosis was a year ago. And I can't believe, and then, and so you've been completely clear for six months. Yes.
1: Oh my God. Completely clear for six months. And now that I'm six months out from this awful experience, I've had a lot of time to reflect. I've had a lot of time focusing on my daughter. The day she was out of kindergarten, we went to Alaska for six weeks and then to Colorado. And I've just really focused on spending time with her and the healing of my whole family because it doesn't just affect me. Yeah, sure.
0: Well, today is about sharing actionable ideas to help navigate you know, our response the next time we have a friend or a neighbor that is in the midst of a crisis. And of course, people in your lives are in different rings, right? Like you have inner inner circle, then you go a bit farther out and you go a bit farther out. And obviously, context matters. But we're going to talk about as much as we can today, everyone from coworkers to neighbors to family and friends. So we also, I want to go ahead and share with you that Christine You did my job for me, and you wrote the most beautiful outline of these tips and what not to do, and just in the most enriching way that I'm going to convert it all to an extremely rich blog post. So this is not just show notes, my loves. This is a blog that you do not want to miss, and I hope it serves you, and I hope that you're able to share it with your friends and family who need to know. Um, Without further ado, Christine, you cool if we just jump in?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. So one thing that I thought was interesting is when you got your diagnosis. And again, I just want to say it was devastating that diagnosis. I know. Like they were telling they were giving you percentages that were not in your favor. They were telling you this was extreme. Tell me that anecdote about the study you said I you tried to research This condition and what did you learn? I know this is a bit macabre, but you're here.
1: (laughs) I was on a Zoom call with my oncologist, and she was pulled up a study, and her face was like she was horrified. And you never want to see your your own oncologist see something that she that surprises her. And it was another study that basically said so few women survived this that they couldn't even do an adequate follow-up study for the survival rate ultimate survival rate of women. So, I'm telling you this is the ultimate silent killer because I did not have any symptoms. The only reason why they caught it is because I went and got my, you know, my annual screening and I trusted my doctor enough to go again after he said it was anomalous and they didn't even know it was so bad until after I had my surgery.
0: Well, you did something that I am not sure I would have had the courage to do. And I learned so much from you when you did this. You shared... With a few people, and then you gave us permission to share the news with the other people to whom it was relevant. Now we were working together, so it was extremely relevant because people would call you for every single thing that they needed every 10 minutes. So it was extremely useful for people, for you, for people to not be emailing you and calling you every 10 minutes on like a typical Tuesday. What gave you the wisdom or the inclination even to do that and to to give us the permission to share?
1: Well, one thing is it the most difficult words to say to somebody is, I was just diagnosed with cancer, and I have to step back, you know, like saying, I can't help you with this, I have cancer. Like, that's, like, that's, even saying those words now, it's, it's very difficult. So, I received some advice early on. They said, tell as many people as you can now because you're, there may come a time when you're too sick to tell your story and they are going to be shocked. Everybody was shocked, but I said, you know, at that time I was healthy. I was in a warrior mindset and I just said, this is what's happening. I'm going to be okay. And like I said earlier, it's not like it is in the movies where it all happens very quickly. I mean, this was a long series of tests and nobody knew if it was a big deal or not. And then when they said, when I finally got the diagnosis that it was this very rare form of cancer and that I'd have to undergo chemo and radiation, it was just anything goes. I have to tell as many people as possible. I'm giving them permission to to tell others so that I don't have to keep telling this devastating news at every turn. And I always knew that I was going to be okay.
0: So what has happened in your own life? You said you started out with a first do no harm approach. And I think all of us have have made that mistake with people in our lives. Is there anything in your experience that shaped your responsiveness
1: to date? Yes. When I was 16, my father died very unexpectedly. And I was with a group of peers of 16 year olds who's nobody even thought about their father's dying. And nobody knew how to support me or be there for me. So my instinct was to just isolate myself. People aren't taught a healthy way to grieve. I I still hadn't learned that process by the time I was 31 years old. And I had a niece who's five years old, and she contracted RSV very unexpectedly and ended up passing away. Mm. And when I had to leave to go back to Alaska to help my family while she was sick, I said, you know, don't tell anybody. I just I just have to go home for a a family emergency and I'll be back. And then when she passed away, it was like something so horrible that happened that I couldn't even tell anybody. And so then people who I loved and cared about very much just had to say, well, Christine's leaving again because I guess there was a death in her family or something like that. And they just didn't have the facts right. They didn't have the facts to actually be there for me in an effective and healthy way. And that made things worse because having to tell people, just like my cancer diagnosis about this awful death in my family, was you know, when you're at the cop the copy machine <laughs> or just at a meeting, oh I heard I'm sorry you had to go back home because your grandfather died. And it's like, no, no, that's completely wrong. So that really made me think, you know, while I can, I'm gonna say all the facts and let others share the news. Because then they can process it before they come back to me and say, I'm so sorry this is happening to you.
0: Yeah, I think that there are several things to highlight there. One, first of all, when you aren't in control of the message through trusted stakeholders, then there's misinformation. And then in a circumstance like that, that's so highly sensitive and tragic, the misinformation is incredibly damaging, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming. Um, and again, no malintent. And that leads me to point number two, which is so many people just don't want to say the wrong thing. And so the safest thing to say is nothing, right? Um, but then you highlighted a third point, which I think is extremely useful to mention. And that is just that like, as a society, we struggle with processing trauma and grief and hardships and knowing what to say to one another and knowing how to support one another. What's your What's your take on that?
1: Well, yes, I completely agree. And a lot of people say really harmful things like in our society, not specifically to me, but sometimes you hear, well, uh, the best thing you can do is just get over it. Or they wouldn't want you to be so sad. Or onward and upward or just think about how lucky you are and this is sort of a toxic positivity and it can make people feel guilty for needing to process traumatic events
0: Mm -hmm. how -hmm. many people have had a miscarriage and been told oh you're young you can have another one
1: yeah no it's or it happened for a reason or any awful you know I feel like we don't give people time to process. I mean, there's a lot of grief that comes with very natural life changes anyway, even the loss of a pet, the change of a job, a lot of, you know, even selling a house. That's that's traumatic. Um, And so I think that we need to leave space in our society to have a space for grief and just be there for each other and not try and cheer people up um just say i'm here with you i see you you're important you know and i'm really sorry that this is happening
0: i would love to just dive in now to some of the things that you learned that can be a resource to other people so what can we do christine to be there for someone who's going through a crisis
1: yes well my two before we dive into specific action items one you don't have to be everything to everybody you need to figure out what you do best, how you fit into that individual's life, what you offer, and then just offer that. You know, sometimes we have we hear news about someone we care about, and we're so devastated, and we wanted oh we we'll, we can do everything for them, but that's not really realistic. And then that makes it difficult to be consistent and present. If you just choose one thing that you're really good at and stick to it and say, I'm going to do this every Thursday for three months, then that just is a lot easier to to handle. Um, I believe that consistency is a really big part of meaningful support.
0: I want to add to your comment and your emphasis on consistency. I think that's so brilliant because we will talk about what not to do, Christine, but I know one big what not to do, and that's to keep going to the person who is having the challenge and saying, what can I do to help? what can I do? And and really putting the burden on them to help you help them. And I love your concept. It's so simple, but brilliant. That consistency, you said, is a big part of meaningful support. So it doesn't have to be these huge grand gestures, right? It can be every Thursday, I'll pick up your dry cleaning, but you know, Christine knows that that's happening. Okay. I love that because how often do people say, actually, in your experience, before we jump in, did you have a lot of Tell me how to help you. What can
1: I do for you? I did. Yes. And I love that. But it's not like I had a checklist of things that I could just delegate. So one thing that I did is a lot of people asked my husband because my husband's the one who could see firsthand what my needs were. Mm-hmm. And so delegate, delegating somebody, somebody at work that you give updates to, somebody in your neighborhood that you Keep apprised of your progress, but not everybody. And then, and then over time, people learn to go to them sort of as your delegate.
0: Yeah. I think that's great because it is so natural to say, how can
1: I help? Yeah. Maybe something that you could do is ask, is there somebody that I could talk to in your circle who, who can help? Does, could I reach out to Rob or my husband's name is Rob? <laughs> can I reach out to your husband to ask if there's something I can do to help?
0: Yeah, I remember us asking your permission to have Rob's phone number and email. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay, and then the other thing you said is help in your comfort zone. I think that's so smart. You had so much support and I feel like... I am going to be really honest with you. I wish I were a bigger part of it. I mean, I'm just sitting here just having this conversation with you and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel like there's just so much more I could have done to be a good support to you. But one thing that one funny conversation that we had that you just reminded me of is I remember saying, look, I can't cook. So you do not want me to cook for you, but I can kid wrangle. I can entertain. I can go to the park. So like, give me your child. (laughs) Yeah, that's something that's in my comfort zone and baking a lasagna isn't. And I think that's okay. And I appreciate that you're giving us permission to stay in our lane.
1: Yes. No, I think that's so important. And you were absolutely there for me in terms of being a great coworker and, you know, you did take Zelda a couple times and she just had the best day ever. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I don't want anybody to ever feel like they could have done more because what you did in the moment was the best thing. You know, like I have great memories of of everybody's support and I never want anybody to think, oh, I should have done this or that.
0: Well, let's talk about co-workers because yes. I think this is an interesting category because there's not like huge amounts of intimacy there and yet this is someone you talk to, you know, every, you might see them every day of your working life. So, let's talk about it. So, how did your co-workers show up for you?
1: Well, one thing to keep in mind is that I was with my Company for about 15 years before I had this crisis. So I basically grew up there. So I had a lot of people who really cared about me and I cared about them. So the other thing is, I take a lot of pride in my work. It is a big part of my identity. And the idea that I was this crisis happened to me and that I had to pull back from work was really hard on me. But one thing that really helped was when I did have to start transitioning duties, which was surprisingly emotional, and it made me feel like I didn't provide value, and that my work that I did was just easily transitioned to somebody else. They said to me, this is just for now, you'll get better. I don't want to do this forever we need you to do this. So when you're healthy, and you come back, all of this will be waiting for you. So having them say to me, you're still part of this really meant the world to me. I thought that was a very generous and kind way to approach this.
0: Okay, tell me some of the fun stuff that your co workers did.
1: Oh, one of my favorite things, and it's very silly, but I've had this amazing co-worker who was a bit of a jokester. And he always had a laugh, always had a funny joke to tell. And I told him about what I was going through. And he said, I want to be there for you. And I said, you know, why don't you send me a joke? He said, I will send you a joke every day. And you know what? He did. He sent me a joke by text. Some of them were dumb. Some of them were <laughs> very funny and some of them were a little blue. And I loved it. And, you know, some days I was so sick, I couldn't even leave the second floor of my house. And he still sent those texts. And he didn't ask for a response. He didn't ask for a joke back. But it was the nicest thing. And One surprising outcome of a joke a day is that I could tell those jokes to the techs that I was working with at the Cancer Institute and give them a laugh too. Uh,
0: So the staff gets to benefit from his corny jokes too. (laughs) And then that
1: kind of ease the tension. And I just love that. And that is an example of somebody who is working in their comfort zone to provide support for somebody and they're being consistent. And that just really meant the world to me.
0: I have a minor tip there that I learned from my other friend. And that is whenever I would text her, just be like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. I know today's chemo day, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I would say no reply needed. Just wanted you to know, I was thinking of you. And that no reply needed to me is a great tip to pass on because that way someone, if they get, if they're, you know, if they have the benefit of having, uh, you know, dozens of people who care about them or are thinking of them or might be doing the same thing, they don't feel, you know how on your birthday, you feel like you have to respond to every single, okay. You don't want that. <laughs> and so just throwing in a no reply needed just wanted you to know I was thinking of you. I think is uh, I think is a nice little tip to share.
1: Yes, I, I think that's great. I always appreciated that. Just the feeling of people reaching out, but there's no obligation to reply.
0: Okay, let's talk about something a little closer to home. Some people have church communities. Some people have like sports communities or activities that their kids are involved in. I know that you have a tight-knit neighborhood community, your actual neighbors. Can you tell me first a little bit about how they showed up for you?
1: Yes, they showed up for me and my family in full force during my treatment. One of my dear friends and neighbors organized a meal train, and this goes back to having somebody volunteer to be a point person, which is something that that you could do if you want to be supportive, extra supportive. You can say, do you want me to be a point person for this community, You know, the neighborhood community or the coworker community? That is always very helpful. So she organized a meal train and we didn't cook a meal for three months. And it was amazing. So I had never, I had only once been part of a meal train, but basically you can sign up for each day and then ask the point person details about dietary restrictions and also timing. When do you want everything to show up and any other logistics details? So you don't need to go to the person who is sick with all of these questions or even the husband, just go to the point person
0: Okay. That is brilliant. But tell me about one of the most surprising gifts that you got from your neighbors.
1: My wonderful neighbors got me my own hospital gown. So when you have to go to radiation every day, you walk in, you grab a gown from a cabinet and half of them are, you don't know what size it is. It's a mystery. The ties are all over the place. It is not flattering. It comes open at weird part places. And then you have to go sit in a waiting room and then go to your walk through a hallway to your treatment when there's all these people around. And sometimes you have to be sitting in this waiting room for a long time. So having your own hospital gown was such a lovely and surprising gift.
0: Do you have any idea where they got it?
1: You know, why don't we put that in the blog?
0: Yeah, I want to put a link in the show notes. Because I have it and
1: I'll get the actual name. Because it was very flattering. People would stop me in the hallway and say, oh my goodness, you look great.
0: (laughs) In the history of humanity, that has never (laughs) happened before. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay we'll include it. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me some other things. Because again, you're sharing your experience. But of course, our whole purpose in doing this is to give ideas that might generate other ideas and let people know what worked and just inspire ways that we can help one another. So what are some other things that your friends did?
1: So another thing that was very helpful is one of my neighbors knew that my chemo days were Tuesdays. So every Monday evening, she would drop off a card, a little gift, And not even knock on the door and want to chat. Sometimes I would catch her just to say thank you. And we would have a conversation, but she just wanted to be there for me. And it really meant so much because The day before my chemo days, I would get anxiety, kind of like the Sunday scaries, they call it. So I would get anxiety. I would be packing my bags. And when she would just leave this little gift, it just meant so much to me. So nothing, you know, just a really lovely token just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know this is hard.
0: In what way did people... Support Rob and Zelda in this, because I know you mentioned you're obviously not having this experience in isolation. This was very obviously impacting your family. Do you have any tips for us as to what we can do to support like the larger family unit?
1: Yeah. So that is, again, it's not one size fits all. I had a five-year-old, but other people might have other children, multiple children in different age ranges, but just keeping in mind the entire family unit really helps. And just reaching out to the husband or wife to say, how are you? How are you doing? Everybody always says, oh, how's Christine? How is Christine doing? When people ask him, how are you doing? That really meant a lot to him. Um, I was getting lots and lots of love and attention and And support. And so he needed that, too. And same with children. You know, there aren't a lot of resources out there on how to talk to children about difficult things like this. We were very frank in an age-appropriate way. And yet, um, it was still very, very hard for her. So when people left stuffed animals, when they brought the meals, sometimes they would have a coloring book or a stuffed animal or a few things. One neighbor left some craft supplies which was so sweet and lovely because we did have several family members come and stay with us. And so to have something that they could do together really was a lot of fun.
0: Well, as you were nearing the end of your treatment, I remember you sent me a photograph that made me cry and it was a photograph of your front yard. Would you like to share why your photograph of your front yard made me cry?
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. This is about three quarters of the way through my treatment, I was very, very sick and very weak. I basically w- looked like a Victorian ghost. And <laughs> I looked outside and 20 or more of my neighbors, each hand-painted little canvases that my neighbors put on to um, wooden sticks and staked them all over the yard and they said things like we love you like i'm going to cry um hope lives here we're with you and paintings of cats we have cats so um or alaska my home state or other wonderful messages and it just meant so much to me. And I took them all off the wooden stakes and they're, we're going to do something really special with them because they're so lovely. One just said, you are awesome. And it was written, it was made by one of the neighborhood kids. And I was like, whoa, I'm, I am I awesome. Like <laughs> instead of a mirror in the bathroom, I'm just going to put that you are awesome. I love that. Uh, you know, your community can come together and do some pretty amazing grand gestures.
0: I have to say, your neighbors are the bomb.
1: I know. No, I I love them so much. I could not have gotten through this without them.
0: What about our friends who aren't so close? You know, (laughs) are are the people that we care about, but they're not quite literally in our backyard. What tips do you have for us?
1: Oh, yes. So I was uh, felt very loved and supported by my faraway friends. There's an app called Marco Polo, where you can record a message and then like the receiver can listen to it or watch it anytime that they want. And it's sort of a closed loop. So my friends and I um, did Marco Polos to each other. One day I even did a walk through chemo with me video because it's very scary for them. These are my my best friends. We were each other's bridesmaids. And, you know, to know that I'm going through this so far away, it's It's very scary. And um, so that's one way that you can keep in touch. They sent me care packages filled with all kinds of cozy things. And one of them sent me a bunch of teen magazines that I could read at chemo that were from my glory years, the late 90s, early 2000s. Someone sent you, wait,
0: I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Someone sent you. Teen magazines. (laughs) Yes,
1: teen magazine, vintage teen magazine from the fall of 1999 and early 2000, which is the time when we met in college. So I love it. That was really funny and gave every, all the nurses in my, who were supporting me in my chemo that day a huge laugh.
0: (laughs) Well, and something you've told me time and time again is that just the little notes you would get, whether it was handwritten or even a text Mm -hmm. or an email, Just letting someone know that you are thinking of them, that you are on their heart. I know that from you, Christine, and then the others that
1: um, that I've heard from as well. No, that's so true. Just knowing that someone's thinking about you means the world, really. You don't have to spend money to make somebody feel loved. So
0: we're going to talk about what not to do, but I don't want to skip kind of the inner circle, like family and friends who are like family. So can we talk about that a little bit? I know that your your mom came to help you when you had surgery and again, when you started treatment, but I know that you have some guardrails there. What would you like to share with us about family members and, and friends who are family?
1: Yeah. So my mom And my sister and my brother each Mm. came in succession to support me. And I loved it. It was really wonderful. But one thing that I think it's important for everyone to remember is just like your friends and coworkers have comfort zones, your family members do too. So don't expect your family members to be everything to everybody. My mom is an incredible nurse she is a great house guest. She's so loving and supportive, but it doesn't mean that she's automatically world's best babysitter. Mm. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like accept people's strengths and weaknesses and don't expect them to do things exactly as you would if they're, if, if they're kind enough to fold your laundry. Just let them do it and accept it with gratitude and let go of if the napkins aren't folded the way you fold them. But what about the dishwasher? (laughs) Well, if they're going to load the dishwasher for you, be grateful and then just close it up and let it run. And don't think about it.
0: (laughs) Rearranging when they're not looking. Gotcha. That's what I heard you say. Okay. (laughs) Was it hard having House guests, and I understand your house guests are your family, but was it hard having house guests like that?
1: Yes. Well, one nice thing is because of the meal train, we didn't have to, you know, figure out dinner. Like that's one of the biggest challenges every night when you have a house guest is, mm-hmm. well, what are we going to have for dinner? I also live outside of Washington, D.C. So when they weren't supporting me, they had lots of, they could go and do lots of activities, which is really nice. One thing is my first two rounds of chemo, I did the self-isolating thing where I said, I don't need anybody to come with me. I'm going to go by myself. And I just watched movies and it was a little lonely and boring, but I just kind of hunkered down and got through it. And then when my sister came, she said, I want to go with you. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to be responsible for your happiness when I'm just trying to get through this. And she said, No, 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 no. it's gonna be fine. And I t- I'm i telling you, we had the best time. When do you get six straight hours in a little room with your sibling to laugh, joke around? Uh, We read teen magazines together, <laughs> we did color by number together. And It was so much fun. So then when my brother came, he said, do you want me to go to chemo with you? And I said, yes, I absolutely do. You'll be surprised. And we just Hmm. talked about everything under the sun. And my whole life, I've always felt like the person who travels fastest travels alone. And it may be faster, but it is not very much fun. It's not as much fun as when you let people in and have them come with you.
0: Mm, Okay. Can we talk about what not to do? And I already know that you're going to say something that I've done. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not to you, but again, crisis or grief can take so many different forms, obviously. And, you know, we don't always know what to say and we don't always, we, we sometimes step on our toes in an effort to help. So our goal today obviously is not to shame, but to help us Help others, and so with that in mind, can you please tell us some things that actually do more harm than good? I mean, let's just just lightning round me.
1: Sure. So, a couple of things for a cancer diagnosis or any kind of medical issue that someone's dealing with is I would refrain from offering medical advice or forwarding <sighs> articles on alternative treatments. Choosing a treatment plan with a medical professional is very difficult. And it's hard enough without well-meaning friends second, seemingly second guessing your choices. Mm. Mm. The other thing is it's a good idea not to share terrible stories that you've heard or read about, or a friend 20 years ago went through something or a misdiagnosis or a terrible treatment outcome or Somebody left (gasps) Snickers inside somebody's appendix. (laughs) I mean, all kinds of weird stuff. Why do we do that? Why? Why do people do this? (laughs) And so, cancer treatments are constantly evolving. They're getting better and better all the time. The cancer treatment that somebody had in 1992 or even 2019 are completely different than what they're doing now. Also, everybody's cancer treatment diagnosis chemo and radiation plan is completely different. And so it's never, ever apples to apples. You just have to trust them when they tell you what their treatment plan is and that highly qualified people have decided. that
0: I did something and I want your opinion on it. When I saw you, I want to say three quarters of the way through. And I don't remember what we were doing, but I saw you briefly and you looked so beautiful. It was shocking. And when I saw you, I was so grateful for it in that moment. But maybe saying that wasn't the right thing to say to you. Tell me what it's like when someone comments on your appearance, because I would think that's very tricky territory.
1: It is because... One thing is with my type of cancer treatment, the chemo I was on was called cisplatin, which means that you don't lose my hair. I did have hair loss, but you know, I didn't lose all of my hair. But people would say, "Oh, you don't look like you're in cancer treatment because you're you still have all of your hair." But the problem is that I was losing massive amounts of hair in the shower, and it was really disturbing you know because somebody doesn't look like they should or you your perception of what they should look like in the movies doesn't mean that there's a lot going on that's very painful and really hard to live with on a day-to-day basis while they're going through treatment and while they're healing after
0: so drilling somebody about whether they're going to lose all of their hair or whether they're going to we don't need that exactly. that's what
1: i'm hearing so, <laughs> so just well, saying it's so good to see you I, mm-hmm. I'm so glad to see you. And then, you know, focusing on what somebody looks like, because I didn't look like myself when I looked in the mirror. Yeah. And so just focusing on kind of a bigger picture, I think is, is a little bit easier, a little bit tricky, uh, less tricky territory.
0: I think it's great life advice to just generally, we don't need to comment on people's appearance, full yeah. stop. When someone's going through it, do we need to be talking about their appearance now? Mm-hmm. There are other things we can say. And I love what you just said, which is, it's just lovely to see you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will suffice. So lesson learned there for me too. Okay, thank you. All right, is there anything else that falls on your don't list that you would share?
1: Um, I think one thing is just because somebody is... Sad or scared or tired of fighting, it doesn't mean that they aren't hopeful and it doesn't mean that they're not grateful. Life isn't beautiful or terrible. You know, it's just kind of both sometimes. Mm. And in those moments, it's really important just to be there for them and to listen. And you don't need to make them laugh or look on the bright side. You just should be there and make sure that they feel seen and heard and loved.
0: Okay, Christine, I know you are helping so many people today. Um, there's something this is a little bit more meta that I want to ask you because I imagine that you were surrounded by people again, everybody wants to do the best. Everyone's doing the best that they know how to do. I even surmise that like even the people who did it all wrong or, you know, ghosted you essentially, that was the best they could do with what they had then. But it's so hard. I'm not, I don't want to project this on you, but for me, that would be really hard. So, how did you manage your expectations? I just imagine that you had some people that felt like they almost felt like
1: they let you down,
0: even though you had so many people stepping up for you. Just can you share your experience there and kind of where you landed?
1: Absolutely. So, one thing that I learned is you know, it's really not, it wasn't really about me. You know, if people let me down or said something hurtful or didn't act in the way that I expected, it was a big lesson just to let all of my expectations go. You know, two out of three people are affected by cancer in their lifetime, and it's really scary. And a lot of people have lost parents, have lost loved ones to cancer. And somebody else's diagnosis often brings up a lot of really painful memories. So it's just important to love them and save space for them. And probably 90% of the time they'll be back when it's ready, when they're ready to be back. Mm-hmm. So don't cut off people. You need all the people. You need all the love. <laughs> so don't get angry. Don't, don't keep resentment in your heart. Just let all of those expectations go for other people because they're dealing with a lot as well.
0: What would you say to those of us who haven't shown up the way that we would now or have learned something from you today that make us want to show up differently or better? What would you say to those of us who feel like we have fallen short in some way?
1: If you weren't there for someone during a time when you thought you should have done more, just let it go. If you can, reach out to them and tell them that you love them, but don't carry that guilt around with you. It's such a heavy burden. And if they're gone, you can always give for them. So you could do something wonderful for somebody else and think of them while you do it.
0: Mm, Gosh, I wish we knew a year and a half ago that what you were about to go through would be in service to so many. And great, if we could skip it next time, that'd be terrific. (laughs) But thank you so much for using your experiences and the wisdom you've gained. You will help so many people because of this experience. So thank you for that. I would love, Christine, if we could end with my favorite story from your entire experience. And can you please tell me about the time you bought a bell?
1: Yes, I'm happy to. So after my chemo, my last chemo treatment, they all, I felt so sick and they all came around they were like, you get to ring a bell. Come on out and ring a bell. And I said, I do not want to ring a bell. I feel really bad. This does not feel like it's over. It does not feel like a victory. And they said, well, you can ring a tiny bell. So I said, okay, fine. I'll ring a tiny bell. And after the other, you know, my my final radiation treatment, they were like, no, you get to come out and you get to ring a bell. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll come out and ring the bell. And when I rang that big bell at the Shark Cancer Institute with all of my caregivers around me, with my whole family around me, it felt really good. It felt like I had really, it was the end of this awful experience. I'm still standing here, surrounded by people who care about me. And so I bought a big bell for my community. It's like maybe a 60-pound solid brass Navy ship bell, (laughs) And we installed a hook in our front lawn. And now every quarter, we gather all, everybody in the neighborhood can come around and everybody gets to ring it. So we rang it when a lot of people started jobs, a lot of people left jobs, some people retired, some people went off to college. And every time they get to come and ring the bell because it's so important to celebrate accomplishments. It's so important to celebrate people who are courageous enough to follow their dreams and everybody who perseveres. And it's, it feels so good to stand around and have everyone say, this is, this is for me when I got my new job, or this is for me when I hauled a queen mattress up my stairs, you know, whatever it is. But we all, celebrate together and it it is really special thank you christine thank you ella
0: okay that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use if you did and you want to learn more find me on instagram at on air with ella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at on air there's no whip it's just on air Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks
1: for inspiring me. You are, quite simply, awesome.